Welcome to the Clone Saga Chronicles uh, 2.0 feed for, from SpideyDude.com. If you're listening to one of these older episodes, you'll hear references to our Podomatic website and a voicemail number, which is now defunct. So if you're a new listener who just found this uh, podcast, pay no mind to the links that we give out, like clonesagachronicles.podomatic.com or a voicemail number. Enjoy this classic episode of Clone Saga Chronicles. Whoa! I don't think I even want to hear your story. All of you must hear the Scarlet Spider story. Welcome, webheads, to the inaugural edition of the Spidey.com, I guess, sponsored podcast, <laughs> Clone Saga Chronicles. Uh, I'm Zach Joyner, webmaster, friendly neighborhood host of this show, but I've got a co-host, and he is my leading contributor for Spidey.com, Mr. Batoni Beetle. Hey guys, how y'all doing? And you're not answering me back because you can't hear us. Well, no, you, yeah, you can you can answer us back, but you might look a little funny when you're listening to your, onto your iPod. I'm ending that out. I said you can't hear us. Of course, you can hear us. You're wearing headphones. Oh wow! You can't. We can't hear you. That's what it is. You know what? I'm keeping it in. <laughs> yeah, don't don't call us. We'll call you. Um, as the uh, as the resident clone saga expert on on the crawl space podcast, I felt like that um, there is not and there's not a single podcast out there right now that has anything remotely. I mean, there's very few Spider Man related podcasts. Number one, but number two, there is no podcast out there that's talking about the clone saga. And I've been wanting to do a podcast since I actually really since before Brad started his. I never really voiced the uh, opinion that I want to do a podcast. I was actually. Uh, "Quote unquote guest on a, a member of our message board, uh, Peter Gorbert, aka Grobble, who was long since faded away. But uh, he had a podcast called the Outcast Podcast, and I uh, I was supposed to get on there. This was before the days of Skype, and uh, or before Skype was really popular, I guess. And we were trying to do it on, on Microsoft uh, Messenger, didn't work, and so." From then on, we actually uh, – yeah, I, I he did a couple sound clips and, and kind of poked fun at me a little bit. But uh, after that, it was a lot of fun. And uh, and uh, I know Bertone has done a ton of these podcasts, uh, whether it be like uh, – you got the Beatles podcast, that's right? Bertone Beetle Bonanza, which is why all my screen names are Bertone Beetle. You can – here's my little commercial voice. You can also find me on the Batman Universe podcast, thebatmanuniverse.net. And, of course – our good friend and, and Brad Douglas, who has been very kind to me over the past several years uh, in promoting Spidey.com. Uh, but we want to make it perfectly clear that we're not the crawl space. Now, I, I, and as, as, the, as, an, as a <coughs> kind of hang my hat on this, founding member of the, member of the crawl space podcast, uh, one thing we really wanted to set out, Brad and I discussed this many a times when we were relaunching Spidey.com, which happened actually earlier this year even though you can't go to Spidey.com right now, which we'll get in a minute. Um, I wanted to make it a little bit more of a niche site, uh, have a, have its own niche. Brad is really more about the mainstream, is about the biggest mainstream Spider-Man site on the web right now, bigger than even the uh, immortal Spider-Fan.org. Um, and as somebody that uh, that has a great deal of respect for Brad, we don't want to step on it. Obviously, we don't want to step on his, on his toes. And Bertoni, he is a regular contributor. Uh, I would say he's the leading contributor right now uh, between his Spidey revisions and the Spidey memories and the uh, Gwen Stacy revisited. He is a definitely a, a force to be reckoned with on the, on the crawl space. And and uh, we are very good friends with Brad. So we, we honestly, we don't want to be the crawl space. 
So that's our uh, public not, service announcement. Not that it wouldn't be bad to be the crawl space, but like I said, uh, when me and Zach were talking about doing this, the comparisons are going to be inevitable because Zach's on here and I'm a member of the site. And in the future, who knows who else may stop by. But because most people find us through the crawl space and listen to the crawl space podcast, and this is the podcast, they're going to be the comparisons are there. We're not trying to be the crawl space. We're doing our own thing. And I didn't even think of this when I was talking to Zach about starting this up, but the thought occurred to me. This is kind of like what another crawl spacer is doing, Michael Bailey. He's doing a podcast called From Crisis to Crisis, which is focusing on just the burn years. Well, the burn era, I guess, which uh, continued after John Byrne left for Superman. And we're focusing on the clone saga. So we're, I guess you can say we're just kind of doing our niche thing. We're in our own little area. We're focusing on a specialty, if you will. Yeah, I mean, and that's what, that's what Spidey.com is. And um, Spidey.com is, is, is not, you know, when, we, when I first launched it way back in 1998 with my dad, we were trying to be a little bit more mainstream. Um, uh, funny story about Spidey.com. I'll never forget in 2001 when the Spider-Man first Spider-Man movie came out. What we had done, we ta- we, we downloaded the trailer and took screen caps from the trailer. And this was before screen caps were really popular, and they, I mean, just seeing how much the internet's exploded since. Did you do the uh, the Twin Towers trailer? I did not. Um, we might have. I don't remember off the top of my head. I know we did the 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 main trailer for Spider-Man One, and. Uh, Literally the day it came out that weekend, we probably paid a good two three hundred dollars to our to our hosting site because our site kept crashing because of bandwidth issues. Um, I'll never forget that because like uh, Sam Ruby, who I, I don't think he ever crashed except for that weekend. I don't think his site ever crashed. Uh, Spider Man Aurora crashed. I mean, all the when the Spider Man movie came out, it was like every single Spider Man related site had crashed. Like they all of them exceeded their bandwidth. I think I had, and this was before. I mean, the internet's gotten a lot more popular since since then. But I mean, we were averaging probably a good four hundred, five hundred uh, unique visitors a day. Okay. At, when the movie hit, we went from five hundred to three thousand in one day. I mean, so it just completely just seized up the servers and just was completely fail. And uh, but one thing we had. Back then, even back then, was Scroll Spider animated gifts and Scroll Spider images and, and showing how big of a Scroll Spider fan I was. And so we've evolved, even though we're not a, we're not online right now, but uh, we're getting there. I keep keep stressing that point. I'm getting there. I really am. Um, There's a plan. We promise. We yeah. We're we're well. Uh, never mind. I was gonna make a smart aleck comment about a certain somebody that. Tony knows what I'm talking about. Uh, <laughs> I have no plan. The the Clone Saga, to me, is very, very near and dear to my heart. This is when I started reading. This is when I became uh, a Spider-Man fan. This, this single story made me into a fan. Uh, I picked it up in... Uh, I picked up Spectacular Spider-Man number 223, written by our very own Tom DeFalco. And uh, the art was by Mr. Uh, Sabi Sima. Um, and he, uh, Sal at that time was being, he was doing the breakdowns, but his finishes were done by Bill Skilovich. I don't know how to say his last name. Uh, we call him son of a bitch on the podcast, uh, (laughs) because it's so hard to say. Uh, but, uh, 
he did all the, and it was really dark and moody, and it, it was the first time I ever heard of a Scarlet Spider and and Peter Parker. You know, so I've seen Peter Parker go to jail and and there's a baby, Mary Jane's pregnant. You know, and and my first exposure really was the cartoon, so I kind of had somewhat of an idea of Spider-Man. Mary Jane. Yeah, yeah, the nineties uh, cartoon. I wonder how many times Christopher Daniel Barnes ever actually had to say that, or that they just dubbed that, and just every time. No. <laughs> he, he was good at the angsty screaming. That stays with you. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean that 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 was part of the part of the charm of the '90s series. Um, Fun fact: Christopher Daniel Barnes is also Prince Eric from The Little Mermaid. Yeah, which is really weird because he was really young at the time. Ariel. Yeah, that. <laughs> That fail. That's fail. <laughs> um, Spectacular Spider-Man 223 uh, was the very next, or no, the second issue after Amazing 400. Aunt May was dead, and uh, things were a-changing. And the Jackal was being a little sinister and conniving and being a little Jackal. Um, the next issue I didn't, I got, this is really weird, I had a really big gap, was... Um, Sensational Spider-Man number four. Ben Riley was in the suit at that time, affectionately known as Spider-Ben. Um, and uh, it was the start of the Blood Brothers arc. Now, the Blood Brothers arc was the first quote-unquote full arc that I ever bought. There was one problem. I didn't get issue five. I didn't get part five. Um, and the reason being was that um, I asked the Waltham Books guy, and he said, "Well, because it's a low numbered title, more people will we will order the we order the same amount of books, but because it's a lower numbered title, more people go to that book before they go to the other books." <laughs> and um, so it sold out, and it was uh, that was the Dan Jurgens run, uh, very 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 brief run on on, on Spider Man, and in fact, it's his only run on Spider Man, to the best of my knowledge. Um, and uh, from then on, I was a Spider Freak, and I've been a Ben Riley fan ever since. And uh, this is a very good time to be a Ben Riley fan, I will say. Oh, yes. And yeah, my, my introduction to Spider-Man comics was actually mostly through the Clone Saga. Like Zach, because I am a child of the 90s, I was introduced to Spider-Man through the Mary Jane! Mary Jane! jeez. Oh, so, I went out, got the comics, uh... I started with little things here or there, but I think one of my third or fourth Spider-Man comics was the one shot called The Parker Years. I did not know any of this stuff about the Clone Saga going in. I was about 11 years old. I open it up, and Peter's quitting. He's not Peter. He's a clone. The Scarlet Spider's the real Peter. Mary Jane's pregnant. But basically, like Zach said, okay, okay. And what was useful about the Parker years was in the back of the issue, everything that they were talking about, they told you what issue it took place in. Like, Mary Jane's like, well, you saved Flash Thompson that one time. And it was like, Peter Parker saved Flash Thompson from the Bart Hamilton Green Goblin in Amazing Spider-Man issue 170. And then it tells you when. Yeah, and that, I, I actually have that book now. And I didn't get that book until much later. So you actually... I got my first issue, but in, in the timeline, it's actually before the Parker years because that was two twenty six was when they revealed him to be the clone. Um, but you actually started before me, so you're about a year before me, probably. I would say roughly. Well, um, it, the clone saga was over by the time I was getting these books. Oh, okay. I, I didn't did. know how it ended. It, this was like um, 
I was 11 years old, so this was about 1997 already, so I was oh, reading okay. these. And mm-hmm. most of the information that I got, I got from that book, because not only... Because if you remember, they had that what's going on in Spider-Man this month kind of section, where oh, yeah. they tell you things. And there was the Edler notes, and it filled me in. It's like, the guy that you've known since issue 150 is a clone. And I was like, whoa, this is half. So I kind of pieced it together in my head, like, okay, so... Ben Riley's the guy who was Spider-Man originally. This guy's a clone of him. And I didn't understand that the clone saga had already been resolved. And when I would see the new issues of the series, I thought that it was just Peter was Spider-Man again, and he was the clone, and Ben was just off somewhere. Yeah. And it didn't sit right with me that, like, Peter wasn't the original Spider-Man, and it, it just felt weird and confusing. But I accepted it. Yeah. And keep in mind, I was 11 years old, and I was following this stuff. This is for all the ones who say that... You know, kids don't want to read the comics because of this and that, and too confusing. Because it has higher numbers. Too much continuity, and this and that, and oh, Spider-Man's married, and I I was waiting for her to give birth to the baby, and I guess at 11 years old I was stupid. I didn't realize that she had lost the baby until there was an issue after the Clone Saga where she's talking to a psychiatrist about how they decided to move on after the baby died. Yeah. And eventually I, I got my hands on Revelations, and I mean, yeah, Ben died, it sucked and everything, but it I, it kind of made things make more sense. Okay, so Peter was the original, this is what's going on now. And I eventually, over time, went back and read those original Clone Saga issues. Yeah, and, and see, you know, I, I, when I, I jumped on board probably at the best time, because the Blood Brothers arc was supposed to be the end of the Clone Saga. Um... Blood Brothers was actually intended to be the end of the Clone Saga, but due to the editorial stuff, we'll get to that when we get to Blood Brothers, which is a ways, a ways off. But uh, Blood Brothers was my first arc, and then I, you know, of course, I've I've been collecting ever since. Um, and uh, you know, I mean, when you're reading it in an order, it kind of makes more sense. Uh, I've gone back. I still don't. Okay, confession time. I still don't have every single Clone Saga issue. Okay, now. Part of the reason is, number one, they have like 20 – this is the 90s, folks. There's like 20 million and a half guest appearances and miniseries and, you know, all that good stuff. Not a bad thing, but it's, it's, like, um, it's like the fifth week books that run today. You know, they'll have a f- random fifth week one shot or something like that that they'll just put out for a fifth week. Um, so, you know, I'm not too terribly upset that we, you know, we didn't get the uh, – uh, I didn't get that. I, I've got all the books, and I, I've read. I've, if I haven't got the books myself, I've read them uh, through various sources. Uh, not saying I did it online. I, I mean, all the amazing books I got on the disc. Uh, other ones that I haven't been able to pick up yet, I've gotten at the comic store. So I've read all the books. I know all the books, and and uh, well versed in the Clone Saga. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, and I, when I said it. You know, and it wasn't referenced. I mean, there was very little referencing of the Clone Saga. It became a dirty word. It really uh, yeah. did. They wanted to stay away from it. And in fact, uh, I don't even remember who it was, but somebody from Marvel did an open letter to the fans in Wizard. Basically said, hey, look, we're sorry that this all sucked. Come on back. The books are great now. You know, we screwed up. And can you imagine Marvel doing that today? I, I can't. I mean, uh, it, it's a different time. I mean, yeah. the, the Harris administration, first of all, handled the Clone Saga terribly. 
I mean, until Revelations came out, they didn't know what the hell they're doing. They kept pushing it back and pushing it back. No, they were no different. When Harris came aboard, it was no different than what was going on before with the five editors-in-chief. So you had Harris comes in. He says, well, I've got this Onslaught stuff that I'm working on, so we got to push this back. I mean, I know you guys are start, just starting to get that. You're, you're developing everything leading up to this, and you got Blood Brothers plotted out, but we got we got to change some things. Uh can't bring back Harry. I don't like Harry. Uh, you know, and, and stuff like that. Um, and you see these days, the one number one, the internet has changed the comic industry completely. Uh, the internet was still in its infancy when uh, around 98, 99, 97, uh, around the time we were starting to read. Uh, and so, as such... You've, we've seen this evolution, and, and I can't imagine them doing that today. I can't see Joe Casado going going to going to Wizard or going on Newsarama or, or he's on CBR these days now. Now, any, I can't imagine him doing a cup of Joe. I'm sorry, you know. The day I see that's the day my my crap turns purple and smells like rainbow sherbet. To quote the infamous movie, you couldn't reference things from there. You couldn't reference the loose plot threads. You know, some of the, I mean, Sensational was able to sneak in stuff like the Daily Grind and, you know, uh, I think Desiree appeared in Sensational afterwards for for a little while. Well, and and, and DeMatteis would reference it. It it depended on, okay, the writers that were writing it. Now, DeFalco, I think, was, was it was said, look, you're amazing, do not reference it. The satellite books were able to get away with a little bit more because they were the satellite books. Um, the DeMatteis, the last, I think, and I'm, I'm almost positive this was the last reference, was DeMatteis's angst story, which ran, I think, in Spectacular, late with Luke Ross art, and actually had Ben Riley and said, Ben Riley. As a as a as a little one of the little floating hands, heads of shame that so uh, the, the, the floating heads of guilt yeah <laughs> which follows uh, follow Peter everywhere it's, they're like the uh, Verizon guys well when you say um, last reference you mean last reference until now the uh, the annual yes with because uh, I'm pretty sure that Ben was referenced in Marvel Knights was he or was it a clone. Because I'm, 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 I'm gonna have to go back and look, but I remember because I remember when that happened. That was like, wow, they actually mentioned Ben. This never happens. And Marvel Knights was pretty good about that stuff. They also mentioned the stillborn daughter, which yes. was interesting. Uh, well, and that, that's when it, it should confirm in everybody's mind that yes, she was stillborn. Uh, she wasn't kidnapped. Uh, they did a terrible job in, in the later stories. Uh, oh my uh, god! The f- uh, referencing that with, the whole, with the crib and everything. Oh yeah, it was bad. I mean, it, I it was have like, a oh, crib. Oh, I built it for my cat. Just kidding. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So this was fail. I mean, uh, there was a lot. There was a lot of stuff that just absolutely. Uh, uh, the Clone Saga was like the hot potato nobody wanted to touch, and and it's been. I found more people have. You know, it seemed like they made it seem like everybody hated it. That's not true. I mean, there was really two distinct factions, or frat houses, if you will. Just kidding. Um, that basically were like, "Hey, we're friends of Ben. Well, we are. You know, we are conser-. And then you have like the, uh, I guess you would call them the conservative group of they wanted to keep thing. They wanted to keep Peter in the suit and everything like that. And they eventually ended up winning. Um, I am in the camp also. I want to make this abundantly clear. 
I don't believe that the Clone Saga, as originally intended, was intended to break up Peter and Mary Jane. I don't believe that. Uh, I don't believe... I, I believe that they said, okay, we've got this issue, and, you know, because it, it was supposed to be a bam, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am type of story, and it, 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 of course, got drug out, drug out, drug out, because Marvel was so desperate for sales at the time that uh, they... I mean, they were getting their asses kicked by by DC, and, and, and but between the death of Superman and Nightfall, those two storylines basically were just destroying Marvel in terms of sales. And their flagship character is sitting there, and he's fighting robot parents. So, I mean, they needed a big story, and they it, it just it's the it you know some people call it the example of nineties nineties de- decadence. Same Holographic there. covers, hollow those hollow discs. Remember those the, that was on uh, uh, two twenty five of web and one twenty five of one twenty five of web. You got it backwards, but yeah, yeah, the Green yeah. Goblin and the Gwen clone covers. Yeah, that was that was that holographic was, hollow disc. Pop out. Yeah, which was supposed to come with a pen, and they didn't have enough of the pens, so they they under they undersold the pens. They were supposed to make a pen for every single issue, and they didn't. And so it was. You had to get like a flashlight, and then you had to turn it, and it was just bad. I mean, there was there was it was like it was like the spaghetti method of of, of salesmanship, uh, which was the '90s. But uh, one thing we got to talk about, obviously, today we're recording this the very night that uh, we hold in our formerly I, I, my uh, formerly cigar stained fingers. That's a Limbaugh joke. If anybody got that, okay. But we both hold in our hands the Clone Saga miniseries, issue 106. Now, this Clone Saga miniseries, now, we talk about how long it drug out. Um, it, it was supposed to be, supposedly, and I've heard two different sources this. I've heard from one, uh, Falco said it was supposed to be three months. Uh, but it, my readings with The uh, Life of Riley, which is an online companion of the Clone Saga. Very uh, well done. Very well done, extremely well done. Um, the first time I found that thing, I did not leave my computer for hours. It's a great yeah, time waster if you guys can all find it. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, just do Life of uh, Life of uh, Riley and Google. Make sure it's not the Rick Riley column. Uh, I love Rick, Rick, Rick Riley. He's done Sports Illustrated and ESPN the magazine, but that's not who we're talking about. Uh, if, you <laughs> guys, a- if you guys like that blog with the seven-year-old who's reviewing comics, uh, his dad's the one who did Life of Riley. Yeah, Fun yeah, Andrew, Andrew Cortez, I believe is how you pronounce his last name. Andrew G is what he's commonly referred to on various message boards. Uh, I be- it's also linked up uh, at the crawl space uh, down on the down at the bottom towards the bottom. It's got the little link section, so you can get it on there. Um, now, the Falco and, and Mackie. This was funny. Mackie actually had a full detailed outline of what the Clone Saga was supposed to be, and. Um, Showed it to Ralph Macchio. Now, I have a love-hate relationship with Ralph Macchio. Okay, I I love that he was you know an editor in the Clone Saga. He did a great job at doing everything, tying everything up. But I hated the fact that he did. He even he even he was the brainchild of the um, John Byrne era of Spider-Man, which was complete and utter trash. Uh, some people wouldn't even. Uh, uh, wouldn't even wipe their butts with uh, with Chapter One and the subsequent relaunch of Amazing and Peter Parker, uh, but sh- Maggie showed this to to uh, to him and he said, "Well, why don't we get Tom to write it?" And Tom apparently, when they called Tom and asked him about it, Tom let out a, a couple of expletives and and 
I, I think he hung up the phone with him. I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. You'll have you can check out the uh, various interviews to talk about this. But uh, anyway, they got together. They brought in Todd Knock, who, uh, if you don't know who Todd Knock is, he did a he had a run on a Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man uh, a couple of years ago, and he also had a big run or a big uh, big milestone issue of uh, the Barack Hussein Obama inauguration issue, which uh, was only five pages. It was done in the space of like three weeks, and it was a very much a rush job. Uh, people, if you're if you're judging his artwork by that standard, I say nay. <laughs> and I think Bertone's going to agree with me on this. Um, yeah. His artwork in this is very solid, very crisp, uh, very much a, it looks, this this book looks like a 90s book. I mean, if, if you're if you're a current reader, if you're a new reader, the good news is, is the way they write this, DeFalco and, and Mackey, they write this in such a way that anybody can pick up this book and know exactly what's going on. But one of my favorite parts of this book is not even inside the book. Well, it's inside the book, but it's the very first page. He's got Peter swinging around. And it says, uh, and, it, and, and DeFalco actually writes a letter to the reader and basically sets you up to where you're at this, at this very moment. And uh, Oh, my God. He talks about maximum carnage, the death of Harry, the robot parents. It's like all these 90s memories hitting you at once. Yeah. It's, it's so crazy. I mean, my favorite. I, I can't believe they mentioned Maximum Carnage. Yeah, because uh, it was commonly known around the office as Maximum Garbage for uh, reasons. If you've never read that, basically, if you're ever wanting to read Maximum Carnage, get the first part and the last part, and you pretty much got the whole story. And there's, uh, a, there's a section of words on this page that you won't find in any other Spider-Man comic right now, except for maybe Spider-Girl. Peter and his wife, Mary Jane, couldn't believe their luck. And his wife, yeah. Boom yeah, they said dynamite. Yeah, that was that was a little bit of a. Some people some people call this a, di- a deliberate dig on the uh, current direction of Spider-Man. I don't think you, it is. I don't think it is either. Uh, I think it's just him acknowledging at this at this point in time when they were originally writing it, Spider-Man was married. Now he's not. Okay, we're moving on. Um, it's the little. I mean, so I mean, fans of the marriage are going to obviously want to read this book. Uh, I know of certain fans that are fans of the marriage and absolutely hate the hoodie, um, which we'll get to later. Um, but, you know, if you were there, I'm I'm quoting DeFalco, it says, if you were there, you know why it was so controversial. If you weren't, it really doesn't matter. All you need to know is that the original Clone Saga was a storyline designed to last a few months, but for various reasons kept getting extended and extended and extended. Some people hate the Clone Saga and claim that it ruined Spider-Man. Others enjoy parts of the story and miss some of the characters introduced. Almost everyone agrees that it ran down ran on much too long and eventually lost its focus. It did. But at its heart, the Clone Saga was a very simple story. You hold in your hands an attempt to tell that story by a couple of its original writers. So turn the page and see the way it should have been told. Tom DeFalco. Yeah, I love how he makes no apologies, by the way. He, he, he admits right off the bat, yeah, it ran on too long. Yeah, you know, he... Yeah, it's, it's not... I mean, look, we're talking about a story that happened 15 years ago. I mean, really, and and you have an entire generation, and, and like Tony and I are, are part of that generation of, of readers, that that was their genesis. I mean, that was like the Sega genesis of our comic collecting, you know, when it came to Spider-Man. So you've got, you've got, a, like I say, you've got this whole entire generation that have that have carried on and carried on, and some of them left with the reboot and never came back. Others came back with JMS. 
others came back with the movies. You know, it just it depends. Most of those people have come back through various means, and, and a lot of them have left. I mean, I, I mean, it, it is what it is, as I've said many times before. So this book basically uh, take it's a it's like I described it as a as a big meal on Thanksgiving. It's very dense in terms of its storytelling. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of words to read on this book. Uh, there's a lot of pretty pictures, but it covers a lot. In the in the space of 22 pages, I mean, it really does. Now, the number one thing people are afraid of with this book is the price tag. I say worth it. It is absolutely completely worth it. Okay, I gave it a five out of five um, on my review with uh, SpidermanCrawlspace.com, and uh, absolutely a great, great book. Uh, it. It moves at a breakneck speed. You're introduced to uh, Ben Riley. There's a little, there's a little subtle hints and touches that you won't see in very many other books. Uh, the, the one I noticed right off the bat was the doctor working on Aunt May. Um, looks exactly as she did in 1994. Uh, the, I mean, I mean, if you look at that, it's pretty much the same. Uh, the uh, there's a there's a panel with uh, Peter Parker's ring or Peter Parker's ring, Ben Riley's ring. His class or, ring from Midtown High, which was from, one of the clues back when Ben was the mystery man. Yeah, Ben, Ben, and you got to understand they 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 had this buildup that were happening in back, different and various backups, and um, and we'll, like I say, we're gonna we're gonna get to all this here in a little bit. But you got all these little subtle subtle hints, subtle touches. Uh, Mary Jane, all signs point to that she's pregnant. Aunt May, we don't know why she's dying. Uh, Kane, a very big player in the Clone Saga, actually makes an appearance. Uh, and it's throughout this issue. Uh, big, huge splash page, which is somewhat of a homage to the uh, to the original Clone Saga, where uh, Ben and Peter, Peter first meet. Peter's in costume. Ben's not. Uh, this and this is where that's where he kind of deviates. I mean, the two fight. Uh, there's not a. You know, DeFalco said there's none of the fluff of what was going on at the time because there was a lot of side stories that were going on at the time. This is basically, and when he says it's the Clone Saga at its core, it really is at its core. Um, there's a couple of there's Mystery Men. There's there's Ben being being quippy. I mean, he's quipping with Peter uh, Kane. You know, being Kane. Uh, some odd stuff like uh, random. Random. Uh, what do you call those green things, Bertoni? I don't know what those were supposed to be, and that confused me when I read it. And I was like, "Wait, so that came from Kane?" And I don't remember this in the original Clone Saga. Yeah, so this is where that's where it kind of deviates. Uh, we get we visit the smokestack a and, lot earlier uh, than they revisited it in the '90s too. Yeah, much earlier. Uh, and at the end of the issue, you kind of see Ben and Peter kind of becoming bygones and bygones. And, uh, a lot quicker than it happened in the 90s once again. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is, uh, when I say this, this is really dense but moves at a breakneck speed, it really does. It's very quick, fast-paced, but you still get a lot. It, they're not decompressionists. And I love, and I'm going to use him because he's the easiest example to pull out of, I love me some Brian Michael Bendis. But he's a decompression storyteller. That's how he rolls. DeFalco is like, we're going to stick as much crap as we can while still maintaining putting a good story. And uh, 
this doesn't feel dated. I mean, Bertoni, I think you agree with me on this. This doesn't feel dated. It's not. People are like, well, this is gonna, this is gonna be so '90s, and you know, it's got such a '90s feel to it. It does have a '90s feel to it, but without having a '90s feel to it. Um, I, I think that everything that Tom DeFalco does feels like it's dated. But when you say dated, it has such a negative connotation. I think that this is dated in a good way. If yeah. if that makes any sense at all, one of the first things that I noticed when I picked this up from the comic shop was, and I know that Barryman does not like this at all, but oh my god, they used the '90s logo. What an interesting touch! Yeah, it's the it's the little touches that they put into this book. I mean, Mary Jane's wedding ring. You can pl- see it plain as day. It's right there. Um, let's see, uh, Ben's web shooters are. I actually like how his web shooters used to be in the in the in the in the, in the books. Uh, you know, uh, the whole in, in the books, Ben basically had of the original Spider-Man costume. He had the he had the web shooters, the mask, and the gloves. And uh, in this issue, we see the web shooter and mask. And and the co- I mean the the even the jacket and stuff he's wearing when he's going out and uh, the, the first time in Power of Responsibility, which was the first arc, it's the same in the book. Um, so there's a lot of subtle subtleties that if you're a Clone Saga fan, you just eat up. If you're not a Clone Saga fan, you don't really you, you, you don't really care. <laughs> but uh, it, you know the Mystery Man angle is just classic '90s. Uh, this was uh, the one thing that the Clone Saga almost had too much of was everybody was a Mystery Man. Yes, I remember uh, like literally one issue where it's like, and watching the shadowy man in the shadows is Kane. Another shadowy man, but watching Kane is is the seat. I always pronounce it wrong. I don't know how you're supposed to pronounce it, but the seer seers. Yeah. It, and and watching Kane is the seers, but who's watching them? Like, and I'm not and I'm not exaggerating at all. There's one issue, and we're gonna get to it eventually because it's within the first <laughs> few months of the Clone Saga, where it's yeah. literally like that. Who is the shadowy man that's watching the shadowy man? I could just hear the NBC trailer people being all over this. Who is the shadowy man? You know, is it is it Batman? Um, I had to put in the Batman. I right. broke my back in Nightfall. No, I'm going to the Marvel universe. I broke my back in the Nightfall. I'm going to make sense of all this Clone Saga mess. I can make sense of my pinky. Anyway, um... I'm sorry, Ben. I'm sorry, Ben. You're the real Spider-Man. Peter. Yeah. You're the goddamn clone. (laughs) You're the goddamn clone. No! Mary Jane! Sorry, that was really bad. Um... Anyway, so there's a lot to be packed with this issue. I gave it a five out of five because there was a lot of good stuff happening in this. I mean, it's it's a nostalgia trip, but it's a very very well written nostalgia trip. I mean, I, you can tell. I've been kind of curious because Wacker had talked about in the interview that uh, was done with Wacker, one of the interviews. He talked about when I when I he was asked about the Clone Saga, and he said, uh, "Look out for it." You know, let me get back to you on that. And uh, obviously, we're seeing the fruits of that in this mini series, and obviously with this uh, with this upcoming arc and amazing in October, and uh, which is tomorrow. Good God! Um, so I mean, we got a lot. We got a lot of great stuff going on uh, with this book. And uh, Bertoni, uh, you've you've heard me ramble on and 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 
kind of dominate this podcast. But well, I'm what a do rambling you think? man. I'm a rambling man too, so it's all good. I hate to say nostalgia trip too much because if you haven't read the '90s books, it might put you off of it, saying, "Oh, well, I'm not going to be able to appreciate this." But no, they make it really accessible to the new fans. And at the same time, there's stuff in there that anyone can enjoy. Like Zach said, it's like the little stuff. Ben is dressed exactly the same way with the jacket and everything when he's in the hospital room. And the scene when he meets Peter on the roof and before that the nurse notices him, it's played out exactly the same way it played out in there. Now, some of the first things that I noticed, uh, and I don't know if this is going to change, but no Judas Traveler. Woohoo! Judas Traveler, not one of my favorite parts of the Clone Saga at all. And after yeah. Peter and Ben had that fight on the roof, instead of getting covered in boogers and going to a smokestack and hugging each other, they went to Ravencroft to fight Judas Traveler and all the uh, escaped inmates, including Carnage. And um, yeah. I'm going to say I wasn't too crazy about that, and I was never too crazy about Judas Traveler. So, well, it was like glad that they, they cut that out. Well, Judas Traveler, he's not an integral part of the Clone Saga. He's, I mean, and I'm, I'm, very, I'm very appreciative that they didn't put Judas in there because <laughs> Judas is, I, I don't want to say Judas is an acquired taste because I appreciate his, his, his contributions to the clone. There are several stories where he's in there. But um, Judas Traveler is, it was a victim of one writer had ideas for him, and so they stuck him in, and that one writer leaves. And so to pick up the pieces, another writer has to do it, and he has no idea what he wants, what that other writer wanted. And so he's like, the other writer was like, well, whatever, you know. Yeah. And uh, talking about Demetrius and uh, John Mark Demetrius and Tom DeFalco, Demetrius had plans for uh, Judas Traveler. DeFalco had to clean up the mess to start to wrap his crap up before we got to the uh, Revelation storyline. Um, this. The Judas Traveler bit, I'm very glad went in there. But the one, my favorite, probably my favorite scene in the whole book is where um, Ben leaves. Uh, we don't know where he was. Uh, we know he was in a diner somewhere in like a desert. So we're assuming that uh, we're assuming he's out west. I'm uh, going to be safe and assume that. And uh, very, I mean, this art, the artwork was just so so. It popped out at you, and just so good, so much good stuff. It feels like it was '90s style too, even though, like we were saying, Todd is relatively new to this Spider-Man stuff. Yeah, I mean, well, Todd, Todd, the thing that some people don't don't realize, Todd actually uh, back in the the towards the end of the Clone Saga, and what I like to call the uh, the forgotten years, which is between the between the Clone Saga and right before the reboot. Uh, we had uh, we I had the four years. I love those years too. I, I thought they were great. Uh, very underrated era of Spider-Man. But uh, we had uh, Mike Ringo, um, who uh, he drew sensational. He took over on issue eight and uh, drew it all the way up, on and off, all the way up through uh, issue thirty-three. So I did it for about two years, and uh, very good artwork on his part. But one of the, the pretty much the main fill-in artist, uh, which was only a couple of issues, was Todd Knock. And uh, you really, it, their, their issues, were, their styles were so similar that you really didn't, you really couldn't tell. Um, he did the uh, 24 and 27 of those particular book. I feel like Jr. right now. Yeah. Um, and uh, so Todd, I mean, he's not a. Oh, I mean, he he was so it's a, it is a Clone Saga era artist, but 
very much he's coming at this with a fresh set of eyes, and I like it. One thing that I noticed too was, and this is just because I could be such a freak about continuity sometimes, is the little differences that they did in order to condense things. And we'll get in, and it's been a while since I've read some of these, and I haven't gone back and looked at it because I'm trying to keep it fresh for when we do our month by month Clone Saga Chronicles. But Mary Jane was, when Peter was in the hospital with Aunt May, Mary Jane was out of town at that point. She yeah. can't. Yeah, she came back. Now she was with May when she had her stroke, but it wasn't. Um, we didn't see her talking to Ben Riley on the phone, and then she had the stroke, like it was in the flashback here. Her and Mary Jane had an argument about something, and Mary Jane came back into the kitchen, and it's Aunt May, and this big splash page sprawled across the kitchen floor. Yeah. And Ben Riley as the mystery man. Who is he? What are his motives? Yeah. He calls, he calls, and he finds out that May had the stroke, and that's when he starts to come. So that's when the difference is that Peter and Mary Jane are together this early in the arc. He's not doing his, I am the spider, my parents are dead, they're robots thing. Yeah, trying to make him like Batman. Which, um, it's fine. It would have been too much to do all that. You have to condense this, and I'm, I'm, I'm already wondering how they're going to do this in six issues. And my only complaint about the issue at the moment is... And I understand that they had to do this. The fight with Peter and Ben has a lot of exposition. Oh, well, I'm Ben Riley. I'm your clone. Remember this? Yep, that happened. And then I went on the run, and this is what's happening. This is my status quo. That didn't happen in the 90s, and I, I don't like exposition when people are fine. It doesn't feel organic, but I understand you had to do that. And it's for the newcomers. In yeah. the 90s when this happened, there's just the thing where Peter pulls off Ben's mask, and he says... No, I'm sorry. Ben wasn't wearing the mask, but Peter's mask comes off, and Ben says, I'm your clone. And then Peter says, the jackal's pawn, and it says, see, Amazing Spider-Man, issue 149 through 151. And if you wanted the backstory, at that point in the backups, they were retelling the clone saga, and I don't remember what they called that backup, but it was a it was a four-parter, and it was in the back of uh, Power and Responsibility, where it shows the creation of Ben. So yeah. they had time to do the backstory in four issues. They yeah, don't I mean, have that luxury here. This is a six-issue miniseries, so they, they had to do it this way. I understand that. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and like he says, it's really relatively minor, but it's uh, – and there's I – mean, I don't even think – the, 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 the panel where he's punching through the wall of the smokestack, I don't think we ever saw that. Them going into the smokestack together is new. <laughs> the smokestack was not brought in again until uh, it was bulldozed by Multivex Company. Who's running Multivex? Yeah. What is their motive? Who is the mystery man? Who's controlling the mystery men? And then you find the skeleton. And I even wonder if they're going to do the spider skeleton here. Probably not, because the spider skeleton's a lot of fluff. Yeah, it was supposed to... <laughs> We don't. Nobody. It, it was funny. It was. It was that that particular plot point was suggested by Kurt Busiek, and um, there was a writer of Untold Tales of Spider-Man. He's like, "What if they find a? What if they find a skeleton with Spider-Man's, you know, tattered, tattered costume remains?" They thought, "Ooh, idea!" Right? But what's the uh, end game? Who cares? Who cares? We're gonna have to do let's see. Let's against the wall and see who sticks. And poor Glenn Greenberg. He's sitting there writing the. Uh, because at that point they were they were, uh, Glenn Greenberg was hired to write the uh, Osborne the Osborne Journal, yeah, Os- yeah, the Osborne Journal, and so 
he's writing the Osborne Drew. He has to write, and he has to he has to tie up everything that. I mean, pretty much everything that wasn't going to be used as a future story, he had to tie all that up. So he had to tie it up, and it was kind of a ridiculous thing. It was it was basically said because they made it a big deal about it, and then they kind of swept it under the rug. <laughs> so I don't think they're going to use the spider skeleton. I, I hired the jackal to throw a fake skeleton into the smokestack just to confuse the piss out of everyone. Because they were already confused, but they weren't confused enough. Yeah. Because everybody was confused. I'm confused. <laughs> and you will be too, but don't worry. It's fun confusion, and hopefully, like I said, because they're condensing this in six issues, it should be less confusing. And I'm really curious about what else they're going to leave out. Um, I really hope that we don't get that Alpha Omega garbage. Oh, the... Well, uh, okay. Everybody's like... <laughs> when I first announced the Clone Saga Chronicles articles, the... Uh, uh, very first thing people were like when I said I'm going to do an Alpha and Omega aspect of that, everybody instantly got that. Now that that comes from uh, uh, maximum, maximum clone clonage, maximum clonage with big '90s holographic covers. Comes with Actually, a training don't... card and a holographic thing, and don't forget to mail in for a another I... '90s cliche. Yeah, which actually, those were probably the best gimmick covers. Now, okay, I'll really admit, I've never bought Omega. Alpha, I liked Alpha. I like that I don't like that cover where uh, it's the jackal and his body's not all proportionate at all. I'm talking about the Alpha. The Alpha one's the one I have. Okay, well, that, that, co- that cover was better. Yeah, that cover was good. It's good. By the way, just random thought, I just remembered why Todd reminds me of the 90s so much. It's because he did Young Justice, which was one of my favorite series from the 90s. Oh, well, there you go. Anyway, but, uh, so what's your grade, Mr. Oh, A+. I mean, like I said, I love, when I say that this feels retro, I mean, I love the way that comics used to be, where it was plot and it would move, and some say that this moves fast, but if this story was to be told now... We'd have maybe a whole issue of Peter in the hospital, and then him meeting Ben at the end, and then a whole issue of the fight. I mean, yeah, they yeah. would have. They would. This thing could have been drawn out into three issues. And I miss the days when comics move fast. This was nice, and I hate to go on about the nostalgia trip, like I said, because I feel like I'm going to scare the new fans away who haven't read this. But it's really accessible. But it was just weird to open up a book, a modern book, and see stuff like robot parents. And even Maximum Carnage, which isn't my favorite thing, but I played the video game for Super NES. I gotta find that sucker on eBay. And <laughs> just yeah. the just the different things. And this was the first thing that I read. And I was texting um our friend Zach today, and I was like, we were gonna record sometime this week, but we were just so pumped up to him, like, oh my god, this is awesome! Let's record tonight. I, I'm coming I right home. <laughs> I literally went to the comic shop, picked up my comics, drove straight back to work, took the book into the into my place of employment, reviewed the book at my place of employment, and because I had nothing better to do, and, and I literally this was this was my second fastest review. Actually, this is my fastest review. The only thing that was even close to this was uh, Initiative Number Seven by Dan Slott, uh, because Dan Slott was like, "This is a very very important issue." 
And we're like, okay, it's very, very important. So I send it to Brad. Brad's like, sweet. <laughs> Post it up. Now we've evolved to where I can do it myself. <laughs> and uh, lots of fun. Lots of fun. I gave it a five out of five. So two A-pluses from the both of us. Now uh, we're also... I almost had my heart attack, too, because, Zach, remember, remember that text that you got? I get, I get this text, and he said, OMG, they, they may be sold out, which <laughs> I looked at it from one way. Okay, good, that they, that they sold all the copies that they got. Bad, because he's not going to copy. <laughs> well, I, I would have driven to, like, every single comic store that night. I'm not joking. I, I, I was going to have this, but I walked in, and I could not see it on the shelf, and I was like, oh, my God. And I, like, looked the shelf up and down again and again, and I was like... No, no, no. And somehow I missed it the first three times I saw it. And maybe it was the 90s logo that threw me off and made my eyes pass over it the first time. But yeah, I was like, sweet. Yeah, the, the logo that's used actually began, ironically enough, during the Clone Saga. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it was done, uh, if you've ever seen the Spider-Man 90s cartoon, it's the exact same, almost the exact same logo. And they went with the... Uh, the Spider-Man 90s cartoon? Where it started. Is that the one where um? Is that the one where they would go Mary Jane? Mary Jane! That's gonna be our new running joke. I, I had I had to get that in there one more time. <laughs> yeah, that that one. Christopher Daniel Barnes, the uh, the Mary Jane that sounds like a man. Uh, I don't think she sounded like a man. I'm kidding. It's a joke. <laughs> Excuse me. Isn't gonna someone going to help that poor Thompson boy? Yeah, somebody's got to help the guy who hates Peter Parker. Guess who? Yeah. I've seen that episode a million times. Yeah. I forgot Flash was in there. Yeah, he, was, he barely. He, he dated Deborah Whitman. Yeah, that's right. It, it was weird. and All that's, wait a second, you're in love with Michael Morbius. Flash! The way that Deborah would say everyone's name. Peter! Flash! Yeah. Oh, hey, Peter, what are you doing? Oh, I'm just looking for Mary Jane! Um, anyway, so we got the 90s, we got the 90s spiky logo, which is, pisses our buddy George Berryman off. Makes him, makes him Sorry, cry. Sorry, George. Um, it's not it, hard to piss Berryman off, to, it, to be fair. Yeah, yeah, it's not, it's, it's done for a nostalgia trip. It's, it's like a, like a little romp through memory lane. Um, and, uh, Obviously, there's a lot of backstory to the Clone Saga. Um, this pretty much gets you caught up. But the whole point of this podcast, and this is our current mission, and this is a subject to change at any time, is to uh, come out with this bi-weekly and uh, go through the 26 months of the Clone Saga. Now, um, I think at this point we're going to just be covering the main books. Uh, we may actually go back later and do all the various crappy miniseries. Um, only, I, I think we'll do miniseries only if they're related to canon. Fair enough? Well, what do you mean by, it? like, what's not related to canon? Uh, well, I'm, well, I mean, like... Like, are, are we going to do Funeral for an Octopus, or...? Well, I mean, there really wasn't much that went on in that one, I mean... I mean, Ben was in it. Ben was in it, so was Peter. Let's take it as it comes. Let's... Well, yeah, we're... we're, we're let's see part of, part, of this, part of the great thing about doing this podcast is that we're kind of playing all this by ear. Now, unlike writers that do this for profession, we are doing this for fun. So, just just there stick with us. There is no plan. <laughs> now, when we say the 26 months, obviously, you know, we're starting with what was August 1994. Ben had been appearing as the mystery man. Who is he? What are his? I've been watching too many heroes trailers. Yeah. But, uh, back in 1994, which was power and responsibility, 
And the official end dates we're, we're doing is October 96, which was Revelations. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which is the, the magnum opus to the Clone Saga. And, and the one thing that people tend to forget, without the Clone Saga, folks, there would be no Norman Osborn. Um, the Clone Saga brought back Norman Osborn after 25 years of him being dead. And uh, lots of... Uh, that was radical at the time. Oh, uh, you! If the internet was existing back then, the use the quote "internet cracking in half" would be an understatement. Uh, there the was, key. I mean, the, if you read the letters pages for the three months afterwards, because they took three whole months and pr- published every letter they got, uh, and they had oh, to do I some editing. The letters. Yeah, the letters were just like ranged from a holy crap to what the hell do you think you're doing? Are you guys on crack or something? And I remember the attitude then. It was different than it was now where it was like, well, you don't like this. Ha, ha, ha. You suck. You're a nerd. I remember one letter. This guy's like, I'm switching to DC now. And Marvel's like, well, I'm sorry that you're not going to be around to see your letter get printed. You know, sorry, blah, blah, blah. This is the direction that we're going in, unfortunately. So take it or leave it. I mean, it was like, I mean, they weren't... a when they were, when I say that they apologized, they weren't apologizing like for the story, like yeah, we shouldn't have done it. They were saying, "Sorry that you don't like it. This is what we're doing. Yeah, it doesn't work for you. This. You know, sorry about that, but you know." Well, and most people were like, "Hey, you guys brought back Norman to kill him," and <laughs> he didn't die. He, he didn't to, die. He survived. Uh, uh, his glider going into his heart. The explosion didn't kill him. Yeah, and. and they kind of left it ambiguous because eventually they did bring him back in the now classic Spectacular Spider-Man 250. And, yeah. um, and they added in the bonus features, the deleted scenes on um, for the Revelations trade paperback where Norman crawls out of the wreckage and he's half yeah. naked. Yeah. He's still got the goblin mask on. Very creepy. Uh, we'll get to that, um, obviously, later on. Next month, we're going to be starting with Power and Responsibility. When I say next month, I mean, I guess the next podcast. So that ran in Web of Spider-Man issue 117, Amazing Spider-Man 394, Spectacular Spider-Man 217, and No Adjective Spider-Man, which later became Peter Parker Spider-Man, issue 51. Um, I think that Spider-Man, No Adjective, became Peter Parker Spider-Man because they wanted people to know, see, see, Peter Parker's back, it's not Ben, pick up the book, please. So. So that's what we're going to be covering. But in order to give, we're going to give you guys some backstory to what led up to power and responsibility. We want to be your companion piece for the Clone Saga, and uh, let us guide you. Let us be your guide. Yeah, so let's go back in time. It was the seventies. Yeah, the seventies were full of big hair, bell bottoms, go-go boots, and disco. Jr. going through puberty. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. We don't know. I, I don't want to do my math right now. Yeah, we really don't want to do math right now. Paul McCartney was in a band called Wings. And uh, the feminist movement was in full swing. Yeah, people were burning bras. And uh, during this time, there was a guy named Jerry, Jerry, Gary Conway. Yeah. Jerry Conway? It was Gary Conway. And he was all but a child when he started on Amazing. And he said in interviews since that... He had no idea that comics were still going to be around. Yeah, more he than was, a few years. So he was. Go, go ahead. He was. He was very progressive yeah. to complete his thought, uh, and he was 18, 18 years old, and you're writing the Amazing Spider-Man. How cool would that be? 
So, uh, yeah. Killed off people left and right. Now, one of the first things that I noticed when I was redoing the Gwen articles is Stanley did a lot of stuff with Gwen from the beginning of Gary Conway's run, and he said since that he did not like the Gwen character. And he's sometimes, oh, I didn't hate Gwen when I killed her, but no, I I found an interview. He said he just didn't like Gwen. He didn't find her interesting. And it's very apparent in those early issues of his run. Gwen appears for like one or two pages, some issues. And he eventually, you all know the story, uh, she and Norman went on a bridge. Someone Had fell sex. off. Yeah. No <laughs> kidding. Goblin babies. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then Norman's time dilation portal fell off the bridge and Gwen fell into it. <laughs> Gwen Stacy! appearance in the last episode <laughs> well Gwen fell off the bridge snap dead and Norman died and those weren't the only two people that died during his run Doc Ock and Hammerhead were at ground zero of a nuclear missile and there's a list somebody has it I think it's on Spider Fan of all the people that Gary Conway killed during his run most of whom have been brought back yeah but oh the original um Mysterio died off panel in his run. That's like, right. There's like, and it's at the beginning of the Clone Saga. Betty and Ned are like, "Oh yeah, Mysterio's dead." By the way, oh okay, that must be a new Mysterio. <laughs> really? <laughs> I mean, Where'd they kill him. They kill him off panel. <laughs> so uh, after um, after Gwen dies, you know, Peter's in a depressing state, and Mary Jane's hanging around him like, and they're not exactly dating at this point. They do make reference to, I wonder if Harry knows that we're dating, but it's clear that there's not really any romance at the moment. MJ's trying to bring him out of his funk. Harry becomes the Green Goblin, uh, goes to the loony bin, and right after that, Peter and Mary Jane are getting closer and closer, and he's going to Paris, and one of my favorite moments, uh, him and Mary Jane share a kiss, and it's their first kiss, and it's a funny little panel, and Robbie's reading the newspaper and kind of, like, looking at them out of the corner of his eye, smiling. Yeah. And he gets back, and, oh, lo and behold, Gwen Stacy's at his apartment. Now, at this time, they moved the comics in real time after Gwen died. It, the early issues of Spider-Man were in real time, but then... Obviously, you couldn't do that forever, but because they wanted Peter to move on from Gwen in a realistic sense, instead of it being like a month after Gwen died and this stuff is happening, they moved it in real time after 121. Yeah. And what I always say I liked about Gary Conway's run is you feel the overarching story, which was, you know, Peter is getting over Gwen's death and he's about to go into the next step of his relationship with Mary Jane. He just kissed her. And anyone in that situation would start feeling guilty and being confronted by the memory of their dead girlfriend. Which yeah, is what especially Peter to... Parker, who yeah. is the king of guilt. Peter feels guilty. Yeah, floating heads of guilt and everything. Now, he was confronted by the memory of Gwen, but this memory of Gwen was in the form of a clone, which I felt was... I, I feel like I'm reading too much into this, and even more into like what they intended at the time, but... Gwen coming back as a clone was the perfect metaphor for Peter having to get over Gwen's memory in order to move on to his life with Mary Jane... Which is how the run ended, specifically, and we'll get into that, but, you know, Gwen's back, and everyone's kind of confused, and eventually, uh, it's determined that the Jackal, this guy who appeared before Gwen came back, he hired the Punisher, uh, to hunt down Spider-Man for the murder... 
what did he say in the issue? I think he said for the murder of Norman Osborn, because he didn't want anyone to know that he was in love with Gwen. He says, yeah. oh, Spider-Man's a criminal. He murdered Norman Osborn. And people were guessing who the Jackal was. And ironically, one of the leading contenders was Ned Leeds. <laughs> yeah, that's very, very much ironic. Yeah. So, uh, and, you know, the Jackal's just this mastermind who's hiring people left and right. The Scorpion, Tarantula, the Punisher, and eventually Peter and the Jack. Well... We find out that the Jackal was uh, Miles Warren, who was Peter's science teacher, who had appeared as early back as issue 31 of Amazing, which was also Harry and Gwen's first appearance. Ironically, there was some unintentional foreshadowing during Stan's run, and I think it was issue 53 where Warren's like, I wonder what it would be like to study Spider-Man. He would be an interesting test subject. Eh, oh, well. And it's, you read that now, and it's like, wow. Yeah, Stan had, Stan had a plan. Yeah, not well, really. It's the same issue where he's like, "Oh, Peter, Gwen's your date. That's an interesting choice, a very good choice." And again, at the time, Stan had no intention of this, but the Jackal basically captures Spider-Man, gives his whole exposition. Ha ha ha! I cloned Gwen because I was in love with her, and you killed her. Meet me at Chase Stadium. I have Ned Leeds, and uh, at Chase Stadium. Well, I'll, I'll let you take it from here, Zach. Chase Stadium is the is the very first appearance of. The Clone. Now, the Clone at this time did ha- not have a name. He was just known as the Clone. So, from this point in this in this edition of the uh, podcast, he'll be known as the Clone. Um, the Clone and him fought. Now, the bomb was specifically designed where it would only be di- uh, turned off by the clone by the original. If the Clone beats the original and goes up there and tries tries to uh, to uh, take off the bomb. Everyone's It'll dead. blow up. Yeah, everyone's dead. Everybody gets blown to smithereens. Well, anyway, the funny part is, is the very first time Peter in, in, sees the clone, he keeps repeating everything he says. Now, this is only done once throughout the entire clone saga, and it was this time. Um, because the Jackal's explanation was he took Peter's RNA memory cells, because he had the blood sample from Peter from earlier in his life, but when he captured Peter again, he injects him, and takes his RNA memory cell, so which is supposed to be. I mean, I know that that's not how RNA cells work, but it's comic book science. Yeah, yeah. We don't yeah. have to. We don't have to explain it. Exactly. And so that way, they're both basically like remember their minds are both ex- in the exact same place when they wake up. So of yeah. course they're both. Well, my head. I've just been stung by a hornet. By the way, the thing yeah. that I found the weirdest was in the '90s with Ben Riley being this like big important person. And, you know, going back and looking at the original Clone Saga, I was amazed how little Ben was actually in it. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, the original Clone Saga went from, like, technically, it depends on, you know, when you officially think it starts. Some people say it was when Gwen showed up at the door, but Peter thought he was seeing her before that. But it was almost about ten issues or so, technically, and Ben's only in, like, a few pages of 149, and then yeah. dies. Yeah, he, he well, quote-unquote dies. Yeah. So they they team up, and then Gwen's working her magic on the jackal. She's coming out of her trance, and she's like, "How can you do this? I thought you were a wonderful man." And he's like, "Oh no, what have I done? This is horrible." So he cuts Ned Leeds off from the bomb, and but the bomb goes off anyway. But yeah. Ned is not at the epicenter of the explosion, and through the wreckage, it's like, "Okay, jackal dead, Ned alive." 
other Spider-Man dead, and basically the only people standing are the are Gwen and one of the Spider-Men. <laughs> Gwen has that moment. She's like, "So, how do you know you're the real Spider-Man?" He's like, "Well, Gwen, it's um, oh yeah, uh, far out." <laughs> Not paraphrasing. It was mostly that. That was pretty much like almost verbatim what it said. And yeah. then Gwen, who at this point the Gwen clone doesn't know that Peter's Spider-Man. She meets Peter at the grave of herself and says, "Well, this is all weird, but." And I love I love what she says, and I almost feel like it's something that some modern-day comic writers, and this is not a dig at the brand-new-day writers. This is a dig at comic writers these days in general. She basically says, look, I don't know who I am, but let's not pretend to be the same people that Peter and Gwen were back when they were in love, you know? We're at different places in our life right now, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And of course, Peter, because she's well, well, what if... No, Peter, goodbye. And she gets into a cab and goes away. Peter goes back to his apartment. Mary Jane's there. He's happy to see her. Closes the door. Gary Conway's run is over. So in issue 150, and this becomes very important, especially with the 90s clone saga, Peter's wondering, you know what? Um, How do I know that I'm not the clone? So he goes to Kirk Connors and has Kirk Connors run some tests. And... Through all this, um, Spencer Smythe is, you know, using some spider slayers to attack Peter. And while he's fighting them, he's he realizes, you know what? You know, in my in this dark moment, I realize that Mary Jane's the one that I love. And the conclusion that he comes to is the clone wouldn't be in love with Mary Jane, the clone would be in love with Gwen, which technically, if you want to read too deep into it, because the Jackal did that RNA thing, they would probably both remember being in love with Mary Jane, but he thinks that because the clone was like you know, made by Warren, the clone would have been influenced by Warren with the love for Gwen or something. It's, look, it doesn't make sense on the surface, but it was all that Peter needed at the time. And realizing that he was in love with Mary Jane, which again, I, you know, this is why I feel like it's this whole big overarching thing, him getting over Gwen and moving on with Mary Jane. He's able to defeat the Spider Slayers. He goes back to Kirk Connor's lab, takes the results from the test, and throws them out the window without reading them. Yeah, out the window, which was really smart. <laughs> no reason, yeah. Uh, okay, Spider-Man clone. Spider-Man not a clone. Yeah. Somebody comes up to me like, I'm surprised that like J. Jonah Jameson wasn't walking down the street with his little you know pimp cane and cigar hanging out of his mouth and saying, Oh, look at this! Uh, oh, Spider-Man's a clone. Parker, <laughs> Parker, give me some pictures. You know, I, <laughs> that's just how comic books work. So I, you know. It's, it was him throwing out the test results basically set the whole tone for the clone saga. Yeah, and have, I mean, I think that even if he hadn't thrown out the test results, the writers in the '90s would have found some of the way around the fact. But remember, when we're talking about these future issues, Peter threw out the test results, which became very important. So issue 151 began Len Wine's run. And it also wrapped up the clone saga, because in the first few pages, Peter realizes, yeah, having the dead body of my clone, which wasn't dead, by the way, uh, probably not a good idea. So he decides to destroy the evidence by throwing it in a smokestack, which also becomes important later on. Yeah, all this, all these elements, these, this, is, this, is like the, uh, this is the foundation of what's going to come. And uh, the smokestack is infamous. Now, the smokestack was revisited later on in Len Wine's run because Peter's like, huh, Spider-Sense going crazy. Eh, oh well, bye-bye, clone. And it turned out somebody sent Jonah envelopes of Peter throwing out the unmasked Spider-Clone. 
So, Jonah actually thought that Spider-Man had murdered Peter and taken his place. And then Peter's like, oh, well, um, this was all a plot by my crazy roommate, Harry. See? He photoshopped these pictures. Or when He didn't use the word photoshop, but he basically showed Jonah some identical um, pictures of, like, Peter lying down the same way that the clone was lying down and a different picture of Spider-Man and said, see, Harry must have done that. Uh, okay, Parker. And actually, the thing that Peter made up on the spot with the whole Harry Osborne, you know, was the one who uh, did this thing, was actually pretty close to the truth, because you find out that towards the end of Len Wein's run, when Bart Hamilton was the Green Goblin, that it was Bart Hamilton and Harry Osborne. They were looking at Peter throwing out the clone, and they took the pictures. That's why Peter's spider sense went crazy, and they sent it to Jonah. So. Yeah. Now, so that was the clone saga in the 70s. At one point in the 80s, it was sent... Oh, well, before we get to that in the 80s, there was kind of a sequel. Um, in the early issues of Spectacular Spider-Man, from, like, in in the late 20s, early 30s of the issues, you know the carry-on saga? And yeah. Did you ever read that one? I've read bits and pieces of it. I've never read the whole thing. I love it. And... This was another one, those who is this mystery man? And people were guessing, oh, Karyon's really Norman Osborn. And because he was saying stuff like, oh, you, I'm taking revenge for somebody who died from fall and from fire. And yeah. it, it basically turned out this guy, he, um, he knew who that Peter was Spider-Man. And he was kind of like an old decayed dead body. And he kind of looked like the Green Goblin. And he was, you know, and he knew, like I said, he knew who Peter was. People thought it was Osborne. It turned out to be an old, decayed clone of Miles Warren. And there was another spider clone in that story that people forgot about, this giant spider amoeba, who winds up defeating the first Karin. So, but it's a great story. It's a dark little story. I love it. And then there's that one title in there called Karin, My Wayward Son. I still have on YouTube somewhere, I made a video of the Kansas song, Set to scenes from that. Set the scenes from that. So you can all look for that on YouTube. It's very poorly done because I'm very bad with Microsoft Movie Maker. But that was oh, a God. little sequel to the Clone Saga, you know. So he, this is basically a clone of Miles Warren who's going after uh, Peter for the revenge of uh, Warren's death and Gwen's death. The little riddle: someone who died from fall and fire, Gwen because she falled and Warren because of the explosion. But Gary Conway came back to the Spider-Man books in the '80s and. According to the letter columns, the first Clone Saga wasn't well-received, and they even said, Gary's now going to undo the story that ruined his very career, the story of the Gwen clone. Yeah. Which was, um... Well, let's just under fail. (laughs) This sucked. The only only redeeming aspect of of a uh, a spectacular annual eight, right? Yeah, uh, they did have some teases to it right before, because Gwen shows up in, um... I want to say... 142 and 141, I don't have them in front of me, but she shows up. She's being chased by the high evolutionary. She, oh, yeah. she, was, she was like a teacher at a junior high school. And because I'm one of those obsessive fans, I was thinking, how did she become a teacher? Did they look at her thing say, Gwen Stacy, hey, you're supposed to be dead, but then give her the job anyway? How did this work? <laughs> but we're not supposed to think about that, and I'm sure there's an explanation. And so, but, yeah. yeah, she came back, and then there was Annual 8, and then they wrapped everything up tightly in Spectacular Spider-Man 149, and they even said in the letter column, it's very fitting that we're doing this in Spectacular 149, because the whole mess began in Amazing 149. Yeah. So, do you want to go into the explanation, or...? Well, basically, I'll I'll 
try to keep this as brief as possible because it's the one redeeming aspect of it was the fact that Mark Bagley did all the artwork on on this spectacular annual. Um, they made it to where her name was Joyce Delaney, that she was brainwashed, and uh, she, that that the Jackal never actually cloned anybody. He was just trying to trick the High Evolutionary because they were jealous. Yeah. Joyce Delaney was the name that was given in 149. Fun fact, they never actually tell you her real name in the annual. In the annual, um, she goes to Peter for help because the High Evolutionary is capturing her, and uh, she finds out that Peter's Spider-Man, and her reaction, which I love, is, Oh my god, you're the man who killed my father! So that's how much Peter and Gwen were really in love with each other. Yeah. But she got over it, and she's like, Peter, don't leave me! And he's like, no, I'm in love with my wife. And then he says to Mary Jane at the end, I love you more than I love Gwen. Which everyone kind of forgets about, and it's always a contest of who he loved the mostest. Yeah, he loved the mostest. And then fans wrote in saying, well, wait a second, if Gwen wasn't a clone, what about Karin? What about the Spider-Man clone? And, and actually, it's funny, because in the letter pages for, uh, where, uh, for 148... They published letters for the annual, and everyone was asking the same question. What about the Spider-Man clone? What about Karin? What about... And then, like, they answered each, like, letter with, Yeah, what about Karin? Yeah, what about... And then they said, Okay, now join us for our next story. What about Karin? <laughs> and then, like, the, and then the first page of that story is Peter. He's in graduate school, and he's like, Wait a second. This doesn't add up. The Gwen clone, blah, blah, blah. What about this? What about that? Then in big title letters, What about Karin? <laughs> Wow. So so he finds Warren's old journals, and it's like uh, the explanation that they gave at the time was that the spider clone was actually a character from the original clone saga who was a, a kind of a red herring for the jackal. Uh, Warren's lab assistant, Anthony Serba, or Sebra, I forget where the R went in his name. Yeah. But that's who they thought that Ben Riley was because Joyce Delaney was supposedly mutated into Gwen, so Anthony Sebra was mutated into... Uh, the spider clone, and that Karin was just kind of a virus that infected people. And that was the explanation that was given. And then the new Karin, who was Malcolm McBride, kind of became a minor supporting villain. He was in a few Demetrius stories and uh, Maximum Carnage. So, Garbage. Yeah. And then finally in the 90s, the lead-up to the Clone Saga is one of the worst, worst storylines ever made. Terry Kavanaugh is, is affectionately known as, like, his two cardinal sins were creating the Clone Saga concept, and his second cardinal sin was, well, Facade. Now, Facade, there was a there was a character introduced in the 80s named Lance Bannon. He was uh, a character that was supposed to be a foil uh, for, for rival photographer, if you will, yeah. for a Peter. And, he worked uh, at the Daily Globe with Peter, and then when the Daily Globe closed down, which some people forgot about... Because uh, it apparently opened back up. He and Peter both worked at the Daily Bugle after that. Yeah. And uh, basically, he gets killed. No reason why uh, they were. Tr- it was like a who is. The storyline's known as who is facade, and nobody cares. Who is this mysterious man? <laughs> Who's the mystery man? And uh, the backups to those books in, in Web of Spider Man were, uh, were what really sold this book. And uh, the lead-up, the ring, the uh, him calling Mary Aunt May, all of this leads up to power and responsibility, which is what we're going to cover yeah. next month. They gave you little clues. Uh, 
this mysterious man was calling Aunt May, his face would be in the shadows, and they'd do little things while he was on his way to New York. Uh, after the facade storyline, he was, you know, showing up in the backs of the other books, too, and he'd do things like stop off at Gwen Stacy's grave. He had a Midtown High ring. Um, he stopped a car crash or a truck crash, and he used some surprising agility. Yeah. So, actually, I guess we can talk about what happened when he went to the hospital, because that's how power and responsibility begins, but they kind of do a little fake-out with you, because Peter was at the hospital with Aunt May, then he left to do whatever the problem was. I think he was fighting the scorpion. Then you see Peter, who you think is Peter, he's in the hospital with Aunt May, and he's like, oh, this sucks, why did this have to happen? Then he's like, oh, no, because he sees Spider-Man out the window. And that's the, like, wait a second, so that's Spider-Man at the window, then who's this in there? Yeah. He runs up to the roof, and then it's that full-page splash panel, which is, you! <laughs> which is awesomely, awesomely redone in the Clone Saga miniseries. I love how he says you, but then in the power and responsibility, he goes back to not knowing who it is. It's like, who are you? I'm your clone, but it's like, it's you. And I guess everyone kind of forgot that he was supposed to be Anthony Sebra because it wasn't mentioned at all for, like, about the first few months of the Clone Saga. Like, oh, well, you're not actually my clone. You're a mutated lab lab assistant. Oh, that's right. So that is our long-winded Clone Saga catch-up. Basically, what you're going to need to know going into this, the Jackal made some clones a while ago. One of them was dead. Then he wasn't dead. He was he was a lab assistant, but not really. Yeah. And there's a Gwen clone out there, but she's not really a Gwen clone, but she really is. Yeah. Can, can, a... can you can you see the editorial interference did not start in the '90s? They didn't know what they were doing way before then. Yeah. Uh, they were making this shit up as they go along. <laughs> um, and this kind of leads into the current situation because at, at this time, that period that that period between the original Clone Saga and the '90s Clone Saga was five years. And during that five-year span, Ben Riley was, uh, as a character, was actually out on the road, different various places. And our current situation in Amazing Spider-Man is is that, in, as evidence in our annual, we only get a glimpse of Ben Riley. Uh, in the opening scene of the annual, and uh, if it's been, if it's been, we don't know if it's been or not. We really, this is base, basically the annual was a teaser trailer for uh, for the Who Is Ben Riley arc. Which you have, to, you have to do it in the NBC trailer voice. Who is Ben Riley? The storyline that will run. Yeah, what is his motivation? And uh, it's actually going to run throughout October. It's actually the very, very next story that's coming up in Amazing. The uh, Black Cat miniseries just wrapped up this week, uh, the week of uh, September 30th. Today. And today. And uh, you're listening. We're recording yeah, today. We're recording on the 30th, at least. But um, anyway, basically, uh, Ben Riley basically killed this guy named Raptor's family, um, supposedly. And now he's hunting down Peter Parker. So it's a case of mistaken identity, and we really don't know a whole lot. We will we will probably cover this probably once in depth, or maybe even a little bit more in depth. I mean, we, really, we really don't know. We're kind of playing this all by ear again. Um, but uh, we will be covering that next month. But Oh, my God, next week it comes out. I'm, I'm looking at the pages now. 
Yeah, it comes out next week uh, for part one. So uh, we'll be covering this probably uh, probably when all I want to cover this all when all the parts are out, so that way we can just review it. Yeah, two 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 Clone Saga related books two weeks in a row. I mean, I that's, mean, that's really awesome after such a drought. Yeah, I mean, there was no now. You would say, well, they're super saturating the market with Clone Saga stuff. They're really not. The only the only way they could super saturate this even more is if they came out with omnibuses. Hint, hint. Um, anyway, but that's the current situation that's going on. And uh, you, got, you got any points you want to add there, there, Batoni, on that? Just um, it's it's back in again after all these years. This was a very big thing in the '90s. You couldn't escape from it. Then it was ignored. It was a dirty word if it was mentioned at all. It was like such a big deal now. My God, it's the references are everywhere. We got Ben Riley. We got Kane teaser trailers. We have the Clone Saga miniseries. I mean, and this is what I said to Zach. We got to do this. We got to strike while the iron is hot. Yeah, that's why we are. The whole reason we're doing this this week, even when Spidey.com is not up. My yeah. fault. My bad. Okay. Speaking of Spidey.com, that's a great segue. Um, a couple of things that we're going to be doing. Um, reviews by Gerard De La Tour. Uh, he is. Been uh, if, if you've been following the clone the uh, clone saga podcast the uh, the cl- crawl space podcast, uh, um, I have been working on a series called Crawl Space Avengers, and uh, it's been a series that I've worked on. It's a, it's a, basically a fan fiction series that I've worked on for the past uh, five years, and I relaunched earlier this year as a with a new number one. And uh, Gerard did all has done all but one of the covers. For the books, and uh, he is a great, great artist. Good, he's become a very good friend of mine. He's, he, and he uh, recently did a couple of uh, reviews, test reviews, that were very well received, and I really liked it. Uh, really like his style. Uh, obviously, we're going to be doing uh, a couple of things that were done before the website went off for a little while. And I call it on hiatus, like it's on, like it's the summer. Um, <laughs> We uh we were doing a Clone Saga pick of the day, which is just some random Clone Saga pick that uh, Bertoni picked up, and uh, there's really I no- have the whole Clone Saga scan, which is yeah. how me and Zach became friends. Literally, that that is exactly how it happened. It's like, hey, I have the whole Clone Saga scan. Cool. You're like, really? I was like, really? So, uh, Bertoni, basically, we're as we're reviewing these, I'm going to be able to look these at, on the screen because he's got all these scanned and. And uh, these are mostly, you know, we don't condone illegal downloading. We don't. Uh, but, you know, it's easy to pull it up on a computer and be able to, you know, be looking at the book instead of having to dig through all these books and having to pull them out, which is a pain in the ass, especially the way my, my room is organized right now. <laughs> so uh, we're going to be, I mean, we're going to be looking at these books and talking It'll be interesting because it's been a while since um, I've read this from the beginning. There's going to be stuff that I won't have remembered that, looking at it again, it's going to be like, wow. And doing it at the same time as these other books are coming out, it's really interesting. Yeah, because, I mean, you, we're, you're going to be able to see the pro, the, what's coming in, what, what what stayed in, what's coming out, what's not in, what's not out. And obviously we talked about this earlier, a uh, big thing that was And how out. it went off the rails. Yeah, and I think we're going to talk a little bit also about the editorials part, too. So you're going to get a little bit behind the scenes. Uh, hopefully, uh, some plans that I'm hoping to get, like, uh, we don't, I mean, I'm not going to say we're going to, because we're going the comparisons are going to obviously be there. With We want to get uh, Andrew Cortez, the writer of Life of O'Reilly, on. Andrew, uh, you're listening. Come on. 
Yeah, you, you are more than welcome to shoot us an email. Uh, now, our email, if you got any questions, letters, concerns, uh, gripes, complaints, uh, send them to spideydude at yahoo.com. And eventually we'll get, like, an official email for the uh, for the podcast. But for right now, just send them to spideydude at yahoo.com. Uh, please pl- clearly mark them, because if they say no subject, my spam filter will say goodbye. Yeah. Um, Don't forget, so, you can call us. Um, yeah, Zach didn't know that I set this up. <laughs> uh, Actually, oh, wow. I have one phone line for all my podcasts, and I just divide it up based on what everyone's talking about. If you call and say, nice podcast, I won't know which podcast you're calling about, though, so... But actually, um, if you guys want to, you know, put in your two cents on the books that we're going to be talking about for the next podcast, which is Power and Responsibility, you can call us at 206-339-5570. That is 206-339-5570. You just call. You leave a voicemail. It goes to my inbox as an MP3. And, you know... What do you think of Power and Responsibility? What do you think of the Clone Saga in general? What do you think of the new Clone Saga miniseries? What do you think? Well, I can't read your mind because I'm not Matt Parkman, so if you leave us a message, then I'll know what you think. Exactly, and and we're going to be very – hopefully we'll be very – you know, we're going to hear from you guys. Uh, This – like I say, the format of the show is obviously subject to change. we are kind of uh, – we're going to do tweaking. We're going to add people. We're going to take away people. Uh, we're going to do the Weakest Link TV yeah. show. Uh, you are the Weakest Link. Goodbye. Click. Um, I don't know if we're usually going to be this long or not, but – and sorry if it was long-winded, but I felt that we had to do the background. Yeah, we need to suck. We had to give it justice. Yeah, because, I mean – I mean – Exactly what Bertoni said. There, there's a lot of background. There's a lot of backstory. The good news is, is that if you're picking these up at the comic shop or you're ordering these online, you're getting them in through MailOrderComics.com or something like that. Um, the good news is, is you're going to be sitting here reading our. Think of us as like the DVD commentary for the Clone Saga. You know. Even though nobody listens to the commentary, and I hope a lot of people listen to the show, but uh, <laughs> but I mean, as you're reading this and we're talking about this, we're going to be talking. I mean, we're going to be hitting up the uh, editorial mandates and stuff like that that were made during the Clone Saga, uh, the chaos that was going on behind the scenes, which which really was chaotic. We need more mystery men. Yeah, I mean that that was pretty much the mantra that the Bean Counters kept saying. Ooh, mystery men. Gons, um, who was supposed to be the final mystery man, they decided that he worked for another mystery man. Yeah, yeah. That Who was... is the final mystery man? Yeah, they finally, finally got the final mystery man and the final mystery man and all of mystery men. Our podcast uh, is brought to you is brought to you in part by the DVD of the '90s movie Mystery Men, starring <laughs> who was in that movie? Uh, Pee Wee Herman. Really? Yeah, he's the nasty guy, dude. <sighs> yeah, I think Keenan or Cal was in it. It was just one of them. And I remember as a young boy, I was like, "You can't have Keenan without Cal. What's going yeah. on? Did they fight?" Are Keenan yeah. and Cal going to be okay? But uh, anyway, Spidey.com, we'll have all that stuff and more. We'll also have reviews. We'll have uh, – I'm thinking about doing a video vlog, uh, just Marvel Universe BS. It's not very long, just just some minute-and-a-half little clips of me and my ugly mug breaking me breaking your screen in half. Um and uh, just we're we're kind of experimenting. We're going to do. There's a lot of stuff we're going to be doing later on in the year. Uh, we're going to make tweaks to the overall look of the site, and that's going to be done by Brandon DP. Got to give him a shout out. And uh, the staff is going to be really working really hard. Uh, I think over the next year, and uh, this they'll they'll all eventually be on the podcast. So 
you won't be just hearing Batoni and me. But uh, we're we are the hosts. We are the dynamic duo. We're uh, he's he's my Robin to my to his Batman. I'm the ro- wait wait what? <laughs> I totally screwed that up. Except I'm not going to get beaten with a crowbar, exploded, come back as a B-rate villain with two guns. <laughs> yeah. Who who gets killed off panel every other year? All right, and uh, that about wraps up the Clone Saga, the first inaugural edition of the Clone Saga Chronicles podcast. I'm Zach Joyner. I'm Christopher Daniel Barnes. I'm Bertoni. And uh, good night, good luck, or good day, and good luck. Um, We'll be back in a couple of weeks on our next edition where we'll be covering Power and Responsibility. um, And we'll also be... um, we won't be covering the Clone Saga book number two. That'll probably be a couple episodes down, but uh, we'll be uh, be having some fun. We may have some extra guests on the next episode, so uh, stay tuned for that. And uh, we'll uh, we'll announce this on the Spidey.com section of the Spider-Man Crawlspace message board. Just go uh, SpiderManCrawlspace.com slash www.board slash index.php. Scroll down, Spidey.com. Uh, leave some comments there. And we'll also have it posted up on the... Uh, crawl space front page i hope i'm pretty sure we will so we're just gonna uh, do it and see if brad notices yeah yeah because because we're cool like that like i say we're uh we're very excited about this new venture and uh, we hope that you'll continue to come back and listen to us improve and like i say give that phone number one more time there bertoni all right people 206-339-5570 206-339-5570 and once again, please say which podcast you're talking about, because if you say, oh my god, guys, awesome podcast, I won't know if you're talking about Bertone Beetle Bonanza, this podcast, or one of my other podcasts. Yeah, oh, and uh, also, if you got some questions, concerns, comments, or, you know, otherwise scathing emails saying how much we suck... Then don't write us. <laughs> or, or, <laughs> or you can send those those wonderful emails to SpideyDude at Yahoo.com. S-P-I-D-E-Y-D-U-D-E. Spidey Dude. One word, all lowercase. And uh, so we'll hopefully see you next time. Take care, guys. Oh, Mary Jane! Mary Jane! Oh, Mary Jane! Mary Jane!